0: Well, the Oak Ridge Boys are one of the most iconic quartets of all time and tonight's guest in the Honky Tonk Time Machine has been bringing them down since 1972. And I mean that in the best possible way. We are elated to welcome legendary bass singer Richard Sturbin to the show. Richard, how are you?
1: Well, Glenn, I am doing just fine and certainly a pleasure. To I mean, be on your radio show today, and and looking forward to the conversation.
0: That's what tonight is all about. We're gonna get to know you a little bit and uh, he- hear some of the stories. And, and I gotta say, I've been reading your autobiography that I think you put it out in in 2012. I'm not all the way through it yet, but about 200 pages in, I can say you have lived an incredible life. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> the The people that you've worked with the the stories that you tell what a, an amazing career it's been for you richard
1: well thank you glenn you know i i uh, uh you know uh, had the honor the privilege you know of working you know with Elvis you know for about two years prior to joining the Oak Ridge Boys, I sang in a group called j d. Sumner and the stamps quartet, and for about a year and a half of that time i uh, I had a chance to 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 work with Elvis work with the king of rock and roll. You know, it, happened, it, was, it was kind of a thing where I happened to be in the right place at the right time. You know, J.D. Sumner hired me to kind of take his place, and I had to move to Nashville to take the job. And while I was there, you know, uh, Elvis called J.D. Sumner and we were able to get the gig. So I ended up singing with Elvis. And back then, you know, Elvis was, you know, certainly the biggest star in the world. His tour was the biggest tour in the music business, and to be a part of it. It was very, very exciting. I had some very fond memories of the times I spent there. Got to know Elvis just a little bit. So it, it was really a special time in my
0: life. You got to keep in mind, I'm I'm a relatively young guy. I was born in 1986 after a lot of your big hits with the Oak Ridge Boys had come out. But I've recently, in the last 10 years, have become a, a very big fan of Elvis Presley. So when I was reading your autobiography, I, I saw the name J.D. Sumner. I was like, that name sounds familiar, and I remember, you know, he, he's the bass singer on on songs like Way Down and, and several other songs you hear from Elvis Presley. Um, and I understand he was a pretty good friend of yours.
1: J.D., you know, he passed away several years ago. But he is actually, to this day, still in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's lowest bass singer. And, you know, while it, it was great to be working with Elvis, and Elvis certainly influenced me, JD Sumner was also a big influence on me. In some ways he was like a second father to me and and uh he taught me a lot about bassing, you know. So so I, it was a great period of time in my life to
0: say the least. You grew up in Camden, New Jersey, but were interested in southern gospel music. It doesn't seem like the two would fit. So how did that happen?
1: Well, you know, there was not a lot of it up there. I'll be very very honest with you. But I but but uh some of my relatives Started giving me records, you know, uh, uh, gospel quartet records, like for my birthday and at Christmas time, uh, the, the Blackwood Brothers, the Statesmen, you know, groups like that. In fact, J.D. Sumner, many years ago, actually sang for the Blackwood Brothers. And so, so I started listening to that music, and it really influenced me and it made me want to do just that in my life you know so so uh well, while it was kind of strange you know to be, be coming from new jersey and wanting to sing in the gospel quartet i certainly wanted to because uh, i got i received that music as, as 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 a gift you know early in my life and it really influenced me
0: and back in your younger days you actually got a chance to go see the blackwood brothers and then meet jd in person and that's where you got some advice from him about helping your deep register singing voice. And that advice turned out to be possibly not very good advice. Well, you know,
1: this is a great little story, you know. It's true. I went to see, you know, I'm still living up in that part of the country, and, and the Blackwood Brothers came and did a concert there. So being a big fan, I had to go. So I went to the concert, and during the intermission of the concert, you know, uh, back in those days, and I think they still do today, the gospel groups, you know, sell records, you know, sell their merchandise and they go out to the merchandise table and and, what they used to call the record rack and sell records. So J.D. was standing back there and I walked up to him uh, and I told me I introduced myself told him. I was a young, aspiring bass singer. And I said, do you have any advice for a young guy? He happened to be standing there holding a cup of black coffee and uh, he said, son, you want to be a good bass singer, you got to learn to drink lots of black coffee. <laughs> so what I did, I actually went home that night and made a pot of black coffee and drank the whole thing. And, of course, I stayed up all night. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, later on, when I finally ended up singing with J.D. in the Stamps, uh, and we, we were sitting in the back of the bus one night talking about it, he he said, you know, He says, I remember when you came up to me, he said, and I did not know what to say. You you came up to me, he said, you seem so sincere, but, you know, I, I get I get a lot of young guys that come up to me all the time, and it's hard to know what to tell them. So we said, hey, I was holding this cup of black coffee at the time. He said, that's the first thing that came to my mind. So I, t- I told <laughs> you to go ahead and drink bl- lots of black coffee. So it, it, it became a joke between us, me and J.D., but it, it was really kind of a funny story.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I cracked up when I read that. And the fact that you were able to join up with him, uh, somebody that you had idolized, and then Not only that, but then back up Elvis Presley and and be a part of of that show for two years. What was that time like for you? I was very fortunate.
1: You know, Elvis back then was the biggest star in the world. And and to be a part of that tour and and, and his show was so exciting. It was almost beyond words. It really was. I I had some very fond memories of the times I spent with Elvis. I got to know him just a little bit, you know, and, and it really was a special time in my life. Uh, you know, uh, and and now that many years have passed, and I look back on that period of time, I'm so glad that I had a chance to experience that. You know, because it it really was special. Uh, I have to admit that some of my fondest memories, you know, uh, uh, about Elvis, believe it or not, involve gospel music. You know, even, even though Elvis was the king of rock and roll. I really believe deep down in his heart, his favorite music was gospel music. It really was. And he quite often, uh, when we were on, on the road touring, he would want to get all the, all the stamps quartet around him, he wanted to try to find the piano, and we would go and, and get around the piano and sing gospel songs. Uh, even when we were playing in Las Vegas, we would go up to his suite late at night and get around the piano and, and, and sing like for hours just sing gospel songs. He especially loved black spirituals. And we do that, and it was a special time. So, so a lot, like I say, a lot of my fondest memories of being with Elvis involved gospel music.
0: Amazingly enough, the only Grammys he ever won were for gospel songs that he had done. And then, when you read Richard's autobiography, which is called "From Elvis to Elvira: My Life on Stage," and I encourage you to pick that up because it really is a fun read. And I don't want to ruin it for people who might want to read the book. You have you have a lot of Elvis stories in there. The one that I want to ask you about is about the, uh, the night that he told you that he had gotten a, a threat, um, and it seemed like a credible threat, that someone might make an attempt on his life.
1: I remember we were playing in Las Vegas, and Elvis, back in those days, he did two shows a night. He did an 8 o'clock show and then a midnight show. After the first show, we were all in our dressing room, and Elvis came walking into our dressing room, something he had never, ever done before. And he said, fellas, we've got we've got a call and we've got this guy coming to the next show that supposedly is, is threatening me. He's, he's going to come and get me either. He's an irate husband or, or a boyfriend or whatever. But uh, we want you guys to help us out on the second show. So he said, if you guys don't mind, come up to my suite here in a few minutes and, and we'll talk over what you get, we want you guys to do on the second show. And so we looked at each other and said, "Wow, this must be pretty serious." So in a few minutes, we headed up to Elvis's suite. We walked into the suite, and there, Elvis was there with, with Sonny Red, Sonny and Red West, both of his bodyguards, and all the hotel security guards. They were all around him, and Elvis was kind of standing in the middle of the of the uh, suite, plunking on the piano. And we walked over to him, and he said, "Fellas," he says, "I think this really is the real." He said, "I've had threats before." I think this is the real thing. So he said, he said, uh, the, uh, Red and Sonny both are here. They're going to tell you what they want you to do during the second show. So one of them started saying, okay, while you guys are on stage, one of us will be on one side of the stage, the other one will be on the other side of the stage, and we want you to look out into the audience, and if you see anybody at all that kind of looks suspicious, we want you to get our attention. About the time they were saying that, the door of the suite opened, and this guy comes walking through the door of the suite, screaming. He said, "Presley, I'm going to get you!" And he starts shooting a gun at, at Elvis. All the security guards that were standing around there, as well as Red and Sonny, they pulled out their because they all they all carried guns. They all pulled their guns out. They started shooting back at this guy. I dove on the floor, under the table. I thought I was going to die. Elvis fell to the floor. J.D. jumped on top of Elvis to try to uh, protect him. And that's when we knew this was not real. These the guys were fire, firing blanks, but they sounded real. <laughs> and he, Elvis was rolling, laughing so hard, that's when we knew that it was it was a joke. But I'll tell you, it was so real, you know, I was still you know, shaking and nervous because it, it, it's probably the best practical joke I think I ever had pulled on me. <laughs> and it's something, something I think I'll never forget.
0: That is so, so wild. He, he did everything yeah. to the max and that includes practical jokes. I mean, <laughs> he, he, he sure did. He didn't do anything in a small way. <laughs> uh, that took practical jokes to a whole new level. Plenty more stories when you pick up the the autobiography, certainly something I would highly recommend.
1: And, and, you know, I don't know if you've gotten to this, this part in, in the book, but the, I think the most important part of the book, first of all, if you're an Elvis fan, there's great Elvis stories mm-hmm. in the book. If you're an Oak Ridge Boys fan, there's great Oak Ridge Boys stories in the book. But it's really my personal story. And I go back to my childhood, you know, the first singing I ever did. And as a boy soprano, I know that's hard to believe. Yeah, <laughs> and I was. talk about my voice changing when I was in junior high school. But I get to the I said consider the most important part of the book. I was singing with Elvis. This is 1972, apparently on top of the world. And I got a phone call one day from William Lee Golden of the Oak Ridge Boys. And he, he's a guy in our group, as, as you know, most people know with the long beard, you know. Mm-hmm. But back then, he did not have that long beard. He was, he was Mr. GQ. <laughs> he really was. <laughs> but he called, he told me, he says, our bass singer, He wants to get off of the road. He's tired of traveling. And the Oak Ridge Boys want to know if you would be interested in the job. So here I was singing with Elvis, apparently on top of the world. uh, But I had to make a decision. You know, what do I do? And, you know, at the same time, I have to admit that I was a big fan of the Oak Ridge Boys. I, I collected their records. I loved their music. I loved what they were doing. And I felt like the group had a great deal of potential. And I really wanted to be a part of the group. So I made the decision back in 72 to leave Elvis and to join the Oak Ridge boys. And, you know, back then, uh, a lot of people questioned that decision. How could you do something like that? But I really, I followed my heart. I really believed I was doing the right thing. And I think that was almost 50 years ago, 48 years ago now. And I think when I look back, back, Back then, I think I made a pretty good decision <laughs> because so many good things have happened, not just to me personally, but all four of the Oak Ridge boys. We've been blessed. We've had a great career. We certainly have. And I never dreamed. This is, this is kind of interesting. I never dreamed back then when I was in my 20s, singing with Elvis, standing on the side of the stage, basically standing in the dark. You know, I, I never dreamed that someday – I would be in the Country Music Hall of Fame with Elvis. But here, you know, I am. You know, you know, all four of the Oak Ridge Boys. If you go to the Country Music Hall of Fame and you go into the rotunda, and you look, you see our face in bronze on the wall. You just look down the wall, same wall, just a short distance away. There, you'll see Elvis's face in bronze as well. You see Johnny Cash you know, George Jones, you know, Dolly Parton, you know, the list goes on and on, but for the Oak Ridge Boys to be there, it's, it's, it's beyond words, you know? So I never dreamed that would happen back years ago when I was actually singing with Elvis.
0: Uh, and, and fans of the Oak Ridge Boys probably know that the band was around for a long time before you joined up. So you joined in 72 and the quartet started in, in the forties, William Lee and Dwayne, they, they joined in the mid sixties, but there's a really long history for the Oak Ridge Boys that goes back a long way, I guess, starting out uh, as, as a gospel group, right?
1: You're absolutely right. I don't think there's a group in the music business that has more history than the Oak Ridge Boys, you know, and, and it goes back to the Second World War. There was a group of singers back then known as the Georgia Clodhoppers, and that's a fact. <laughs> hmm. They would go to Oak Ridge, Tennessee. And they were, would entertain the people there who were actually working on the development of the atomic bomb. It was called the Manhattan Project. You, you can read about it in your history book. Oh, yeah. Now, it, yeah. Actually, it actually happened. These people could not leave for security reasons. The Georgia cloud had security clearance so they could go in and entertain these people you know, on a regular basis. You know, As a result of going to Oak Ridge, they became known as the Oak Ridge Quartet. And, you know, and that group sang, you know, even after the war until the mi- middle 50s, uh, sang on the Grand old Opry, the Friday Night Opry at the old Ryman Auditorium, you know. And, and in the latter 50s, the group was disbanded and reorganized with younger guys. And at, at that point, the uh, name was changed from Oak Ridge Quartet to the Oak Ridge Boys. And that's that's the name we, you know, obviously retain to this present day, William Lee Golden, the first— member of our present lineup to join. He joined in 1965. Dwayne Allen, our lead singer, came one year later in 1966. As I talked about earlier, in 1972, I left Elvis and joined the Oak Ridge Boys. And then Joe Bonzel came one year after me in 1973. So we've been together ever since there. So, you know, we, we do have an amazing history. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that that makes us want to continue. We, we don't want this history to end. We want it to continue. So we were very, very hard to keep going. We do not plan to retire because we still, after all these years, love doing what we do.
0: You knew those guys before you had joined the band, worked in a lot of the same circles. In fact, were in a, I guess you could say, competing band. But you especially had a relationship with uh, with Joe Bonzel before he came along. I wanted you to talk about that and how uh, you guys had, had met and, and formed your bond.
1: Well, you know, you're right about that. Joe and I signed together, you know, before we ever joined the Oak Ridge Boys. I uh, when I, I, I went to college up in Trenton, New Jersey. When I was there in college, I met some other guys, and we formed a group. And the other three guys were from Pennsylvania, Bristol, Pennsylvania, which is just across the Delaware River from Trenton there. And uh, because the three of the four guys were from Pennsylvania, the, the Keystone State, we called our group the Keystone Quartet. And we started singing, you know, in churches and camp meetings and revival meetings, all in the Northeastern part of the country. And we started working some days with Joe because Joe had his own family group. His sister was in the group and some of his friends. And we did some concerts together. And when it came time for a change in our group, you know, I, I approached Joe and asked him if he'd be interested in joining up with us. And he did. So for, 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 Several years, actually, before we ever joined the Oak Ridge Boys together, we signed together in a group called the Keystone Quartet up in New, Jer- New Jersey and Pennsylvania and all that northeastern part of the country.
0: You would later say in your autobiography that there may not be the Oak Ridge Boys if it, if it wasn't for Johnny Cash, or there may not still be. You might not still be around if it weren't for Johnny Cash. I was wondering if you could elaborate on, on what he meant to you guys sticking together all these years.
1: Well, you know, you're right about that. You know, a lot of there are a lot of people affected our career in our early days, in our struggling years, and Johnny Cash comes at the top of that list. There's no doubt about it. As you said, and I really uh, agree with that, there probably would not be an Oak Ridge Boys today if it was not for Johnny Cash and his influence on the Oak Ridge Boys. We were playing in Las Vegas, actually, again with Johnny Cash, and uh, we had no other dates in our book you know we 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 did not know how we were going to survive after that engagement with johnny cash so we we were kind of discouraged our heads were kind of hanging a little bit and i think johnny cash could could detect that so one day during that engagement he called us up in the afternoon and he said fellas come up to my room i want to talk to you guys so I remember we all went up to Johnny Cash's room at the Las Vegas Hilton. By the way, it's kind of interesting. The same place in Las Vegas that I years ago played with Elvis as well. So it's the same, same, same hotel. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we went to Johnny Cash's room, his suite, and uh, he said, fellas, I can tell you guys are discouraged. I can tell your heads are hanging. He says, and I, I can tell you you're thinking about giving up. He said, but I can also tell something very special about you guys. You know, you've got, there's, there's a magic about you guys, and it's very special. He says, and if you give up now, no one else will ever realize that. And most importantly, you will never realize your dreams. So what I want you to do, he said, I want you to find a way to stay together. Do not give up. He said, I will help you as much as I can. And he always did. Johnny Cash always paid us more money than we were actually worth and usually gave us a tip on top of it. You know, so, so he did help us, you know, financially, but more than, than, you know, the financial help were his words of encouragement. He said, please find a way to stay together. He said, I promise you that if you'll do it and it's up to you guys, because you're going to have to find a way on your own. If you guys will find a way to stay together, he says, I'm promising you right now that good things are about to start happening to you guys. You guys are going to make it, but you got to find a way to stay together. So I remember walking out of that room with Johnny Cash. Instead of our heads hanging, we looked at each other and we said, wow, if Johnny Cash thinks we are going to make it, we are going to make it. So to make this long story short <laughs> or shorter, we did obviously find a way to stay together. We eventually you know, came in contact with our manager, Jim Halsey, who is our manager today, he he took the bull by the horns. He negotiated a record contract for us. He acquired Ron Chancey to be our producer. We started having hit records, and good things did start happening to us. And I remember a few years after that, when we won our first CMA Award as Vocal Group of the Year, uh, we were so excited, and we ran up on stage. And instead of going to the stage left to accept our award, we ran this to the right side of the stage because Johnny Cash was standing there because he was hosting the show and we all ran up to him and we hugged his neck and in that big, that <laughs> big booming voice of his, he said, see fellas, I told you so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. I mean, you almost feel obligated to stay together just so, so you don't let the man in black down. And, and boy, did, your career blossom from that point. Yeah. Um, we should probably talk about some of the songs before we let you go. You, you have so many, it's hard to narrow down which ones I want to talk about. So I'll ask you this. Uh, do you have a specific song outside of Elvira? Because Elvira's the big one, I, I think. But outside of Elvira, what do you think is the, the biggest song that you get a reaction from when you do your shows?
1: Well, you know, I, you're right. Elvira is our signature song. You know, and if you ever come to see the Oak Ridge Boys perform... You can count on the fact that you're going to hear Elvira. You can count on the fact you're going to hear me do giddy-up, oom-papa, um, papa mile um, papa, mile because that is the law. <laughs> <laughs> and we're about to start doing Christmas shows at Opryland here. You know, we, we've had a rough year. You know, we've, we've been out of work since March. But, but thank the good Lord we're going to be doing our Christmas shows here at the Gaylord you know, Opryland Resort here in Nashville. It's so going to be starting next week. And even on the Christmas show, we will be doing Elvira. You can count on that. But to let, me get, let me answer your question now. If you wanted me to pick a song other than uh, Elvira, it's also a song that we're going to be including in our Christmas show. And I'd have to say, uh, thank God for kids. Mm. You know, William Lee Golden, he is a master at, uh, at interpreting a lyric of a song and then communicating that lyric to an audience. You can tell when he sings that song every night. It's a special, special moment on our show. You look out in the audience, you see people hugging each other, you see people holding hands, people with tears in their eyes. If they have kids, people are hugging their kids. And you can tell it touches people, it moves people. So I'd have to say thank God for kids. It's a special song on the show, and we will also be doing that coming up here at the Opelan, you know, uh, uh Resort here doing our Christmas show.
0: We play it every year around Christmas time. Love, love, love that song. And the reason I said outside of Elvira is because I was going to ask you about Elvira next. Obviously, that's, that's a, a career maker right there. I mean, that's probably... I don't know if you felt like you peaked when, you, when that song came out, but certainly you had to feel like you were on top of the world when that song came along.
1: Well, you know, that song you know, made us a household name. You know, we had a great career going. I think up to that point, we had 10 number one country records. We've become one of the top groups in, in country music. But when Ron Chansey played that song for us, I'll never forget it, uh, before we recorded, I remember when we all heard that a guy named Dallas Frazier. He's a friend of ours. He's a neighbor, actually. He wrote that song. And when, when Ron Chansey played Dallas Frazier's version of that song for us in his office, uh, we looked at each other and we said, wow, this! I think this is the song we have been looking for. And I, I remember when we recorded the song. It, we got it in just two or three takes. It went down so easy. All the musicians were smiling, having fun. you know. And you could tell it, it was a hit. It felt like a hit. You know, but I don't think we realized how big of a hit it was going to be until the very first time we ever performed Elvira in person. We were in Spokane, Washington, of all places, at the Opera House, and uh, right in the middle of our show. Without saying a word about it, we decided to try some of the new songs out that we had just recorded, including Elvira. When we sang Elvira, the place just went Crazy! We had the encore. They wouldn't quit, not quit applauding. So we had the encore. You know, two or three times actually. And then at the end of the show, we did it again. And we had the encore at the end of the show. And then we got a similar reaction every night on the whole rest of that West Coast tour we were we were taking. And so we called our record label up and said, "You know, we do have something special on, on our hands. You know, we've got to get this thing out." And sure enough, it's, it's to this day it's still one of the largest-selling single records to ever be recorded here in Nashville.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And we're going to play all the big ones on the show. Uh, Y'all Come Back Saloon, the breakthrough single, I'll Be True to You, your first number one hit. But the one I wanted to ask you about next, and it'll, it'll be my last question for you since we're about out of time, is, is the one that you sing lead on, uh, Dream On from 1979, which was an old uh, Righteous Brothers song, right?
1: Well, you're right about that. You know, uh, once again, Ron Chansey, you know, he produced most of the Oak Ridge Boys hits. He had a knack for for finding hit songs. He really did. He was a song man. And I remember we were recording that album called Oak Ridge Boys Have Arrived, and we did not have a song for me. You know, and, and sometimes it's hard to find a song, you know, for a low voice. And But Rod said, said, I got an idea, fellas, and he said, listen to this, and he played the Righteous Brothers version, which features Bill Medley singing, you know, Dream On, and we said, yeah, I think that's going to work, so, you know, we went into the studio, we recorded Dream On, you know, I kind of put my... Style to it, my way of doing it. And it became a big hit record for the Oak Ridge Boys. And, you know, it's a song we, we're not going to do it on the Christmas show coming up, but it's a song we do just about every night, even after all the years, on our regular shows.
0: Well, once again, that Christmas show, it's, it's, a, it's a residency at the Gaylord Opryland, right, from the 20th of November to December 25th. Is that right? That's correct. It's, okay. it's
1: every night except for we, we start the 20th and the 20th 21st, and I think we, we take a, a day or so off right in there going at Thanksgiving week. But then it's every night uh, right up until, uh, right up until uh, Christmas night, December the 25th. So, you know, we, we've had, uh, I'll be very honest with you, just like all of us, this has been a tough year for everybody, especially in the music business the music business has been pretty much shut down, you know, and we've been out of work, you know, most of the year, but but the Copperland people have given us this opportunity to, to perform here at the end of the year. And so we're, we're very, very excited about it. We've been rehearsing. We're going to be rehearsing again here in the next few days. And we're certainly looking forward to it. So if you happen to be traveling and happen to be in the Nashville area, you know, November the 20th through December the 25th, you know, the Opryland Resort is a wonderful, wonderful place at Christmas time. The lights, everything they do there, is is very special even our show it's, it's, they're, they're calling it Tennessee Christmas it, you you, you got a wonderful meal you know they have excellent chefs there at the hotel they're going to go in and prepare a wonderful meal along with the show it's a, and it, it's a great place for for families to spend some time at Christmas time so come out and see the Oak Ridge boys you know if you're if you're anywhere close to Nashville
0: fortunately for us it's not that far of a trip it's about the same as going out west to Branson for us as less than 5 hours so we can go see you around Christmas time and uh, you guys just put out a Christmas album last year. Still, still promoting that. You'll probably be singing some of those songs too. We'll be,
1: you know, we, we, our Christmas show. We cover every aspect of Christmas. You know, the fun side of Christmas. You know, the romantic side of Christmas. We have a great Santa Claus. We have a section in our show that we call our rocking chair segment, and it's 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 a fan favorite. You know, the four Oakridge boys sit in rocking chairs, and we take turns talking. About Christmas memories and what Christmas means to us, and we sing songs, you know. And it's it's a chance for people to get to know us a little bit. Then after the rocking chair segment, we then sing songs that talk about the real, true meaning of Christmas, and we know what that is. That is the birth of Jesus. That's important to us. It's important to our fans, you know, and especially in this day and age that we're living, it's very, very important. You know, the importance of Jesus being born is very important to our, to our world right now. So, so we, we are going to spend some time singing about that and talking about that as well. But overall, with our hits and all the Christmas music, it's a great, great family show. It's a great way for, you know, love for folks to spend time together at Christmas time. And, yes, we will sing a few songs from that new Christmas album produced by Dave Cobb, you know, the, uh, the Oak Ridge Boys' down-home Christmas.
0: It's a 29-day residency at the Gaylord Opryland, November 20th through December 25th, Richard Sturban, bass singer from the Oak Ridge Boys, has been our guest tonight in the Honky Tonk Time Machine. Richard, I first saw you in 2004 at the Grand Ole Opry, and i had always known who the uh, Oak Ridge Boys were, but uh, I became a fan that day when I first Saw you live. I appreciate you doing this, spending some time with us. We hope you have a very happy holiday season.
1: Well, thank you, Glenn. It's been my pleasure talking with you.